Have you ever gotten a gift, and as you opened it, you thought to yourself, the person who bought me this gift does not know me at all? I, I've, I've gotten these gifts many times, which I don't even really understand because I believe, I guess like most people, that I'm an incredibly easy person to shop for. I mean, there's only like five or six things that I like, you know, it's like, I like baseball, guitars, I like books, I like shoes. Yes, sorry. Uh, I accept cold card cash, you know, uh, all of that. Any of those will work. So you can imagine my surprise when I get this box from someone who will remain nameless, but is related to me and doesn't live in the state. And I open it up and it's a pair of gloves. I want you to think about that. They live in a state where it gets cold. But they actually put a pair, bought me a pair of gloves, put it in a box, and wrote Florida on the box. And then I opened it up, and it's like, what exactly am I going to do with these winter gloves? Winter here is like 70. Uh, you know what I mean? And so I have no idea what I'm going to do with it. And so, anyway, I sent it back to them the next year as a gift. Uh, they loved it. But then there's these moments, you ever have this, where someone gives you a gift, and it is the absolutely perfect gift and not just like oh this is what i want they checked it off and bought it for you but it's a gift where you didn't even ask for it but they just knew that you would love it i mean i've only had that happen a a few times but like two years ago i open up a gift it's in my stocking and my wife buys me a brother p touch label maker which seems kind of goofy but it is like the perfect gift for me because, and I didn't even realize that I wanted that's why you, that's how you know it's like the perfect gift. You open it and you didn't even realize that you wanted it. And it's like, <clears throat> pardon me, this absolutely perfect gift. And uh, I got so excited. And, uh, it, and the reason why a perfect gift like this is so good is because it, it, it kind of tells you that this person knows something about you that maybe you didn't even know about yourself. And so I'm like, you know, Mr. Organization. I always want to be organized. And so I got this and I labeled all of my files for each year. I know it's like totally nerdy, but I do it. And then, um, but I kind of, I'll be honest with you. I started getting a little carried away. In fact, I took a couple pictures. Here's one. I, I labeled my label maker, which I thought was important. And then I started really getting crazy. Here's another one. Um, I labeled my Bible. And then I, there's another one. Um, I labeled my daughter. Uh, she was excited when I did it, but, um, you know, and, and see, I guess you could say that the gift fueled something that was already inside of me. In fact, my wife, uh, you know, as I was doing this, she said, you know, you're just an organizationally competent dude. That's what you are. And I thought that was a compliment until I realized that the initials stand for OCD. Um, but you see, there's something that happens in a person when they... When they get this gift that's given to them, it, it kind of sparks something that was already there. And that's why we're starting this brand new series that we're calling Fuel, the factors that ignite faith. And the reason is that we're, that we're calling it that is because faith doesn't actually grow by itself. Faith, act, instead, there, there are these certain catalysts that ignite faith and cause faith to grow and cause faith to develop and cause faith to strengthen. And we're going to spend the next four weeks studying this idea Studying a book in the New Testament that's somber in its tone, but powerful in its message. The book of 2 Timothy. This book was written by the Apostle Paul, if you're taking note, in about 67 AD. It's the last of Paul's epistles. And yet, uh, I believe that it's probably one of the most powerful of his epistles because this book is written right before he's about to be martyred, about to lose his life for his faith in Christ. 
You see, at the writing of this letter, Paul is in prison. And when I say prison, I don't want you to think of like a U.S. prison where guys are, you know, lifting weights, getting three square meals a day and getting a college level education as they serve their sentence. What I'm talking about is what, what we're looking at. This, this prison that Paul was in is what was called the Mamertine prison uh, in Rome. In fact, uh, Pastor Mark was there just a couple of years. Not, he was not in prison, but he visited. Um, uh, which, you know, anyway. Uh, but he actually took some pictures for us. And this is uh, actually the, the, that's the door of the Mamertine prison. We have the next one. This is a little sign that says, you know, the prison of Mamertine. Next one. Um, this kind of tells you this is a bit of the decor of this uh of this place and we have another one here and then the catholics built a um built a little shrine there by the way that bottle of water is not authentic to uh to the to the prison um but nonetheless i mean this was not this prison was basically a hole where criminals were kept until rome decided to execute them this was not a minimum security resort this was a dungeon and it's here that the apostle paul picks up a pen and writes this letter to Timothy. Now, who was Timothy? Timothy was this young man who became the pastor of the church at Ephesus. Now, Paul had started that church uh, a few years prior to Timothy getting there. And what happened was this, is that he had started that church. He spent uh, a little over a year at that church. And then after he left, what he did was that he, he put Timothy in charge. And he said, Timothy, you're going to, you're the pastor of this church now. You know exactly what to do. And so what we learn from Paul's writings and from the book of Acts is that Paul discipled Timothy and that Timothy later then traveled with Paul learning and, and uh, growing in his gifting. And, and what happened was later on, then uh, Timothy becomes the pastor of this church. Now, uh, Timothy, uh, if, if you're not aware, was a young guy. He's probably, you know, in his early 20s like me. Uh, <laughs> And um, he, he was slightly timid. And sometimes uh, what people tend to believe, and especially through Paul's writings, is that because he was young, he had this, this timidity towards him that he didn't really want to speak out and be bold and share. This is what you really need to do. This is what God has to say. But he, was just, he just wanted to kind of hold back a little bit. And that's one of the themes that Paul has to continually challenge Timothy about is to not let age stop him. In fact, in your outline, you'll see the first verse in 1 Timothy chapter 4. It says this. Don't let, pardon me, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. You see, but this letter is different than the other letters that Paul has written. It's even very different than the first letter that Paul wrote to Timothy. This is Paul's epilogue. This is Paul's last will and testament. This is everything that Paul wants to say to his son in the face in the faith, because he knows that these are the last words that he's going to speak to Timothy. So what does he talk to Timothy about? I mean, I want you to think for a moment, if, you, if this is all you could say, you didn't know, you, you were getting to the end. And you say, well, what am I going to say to this one who's been faithful to me? What am I going to say to this one who's pastoring this church? What am I going to say to, be the, to this one who's uh, been like a son to me? What do I say to him? Here's what Paul talks to him about. Having a faith that's fully ignited. Having a faith that's fueled, having a faith that's catalyzed to be everything that it can be. To not have a stagnant faith, to not have a passive faith, to not have a defeated faith, but instead to have a faith that's ignited, that's vibrant, and that's alive. And how to keep your faith, your life, and your devotion to Jesus Christ that way. 
And so Paul opens on the subject of gifts because Paul recognizes that gifts and understanding our gifts and knowing how God has gifted us is one of the ways in which God ignites our faith. And so what is Paul going to do? Paul, in this first section, in this first chapter, he's going to lay out for us the three ways that God uses our gifts, the three things that we need to do in understanding our gifts, that if we will do it and if we will devote ourselves to them, we will see a faith that's ignited. So if you have your Bible, you can open to 2 Timothy. If not, the passages are there in your outline. But here's where we're going to begin in 2 Timothy chapter 1. It says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of life which is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, a beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience as my forefathers did, as without ceasing I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you being mindful of your tears that I may be filled with joy when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. If you pause there and give me your attention, what's the first thing that we need to understand? And here's what we need to understand. If if our gifts are really going to fuel our faith, I I need to understand this. Here's the first one is that I need to discover and develop my gifts. I need to discover and develop my gifts. Now, here's the thing that's so important. Our faith gets fueled when we recognize how it is that God has gifted us when we develop those gifts to become everything that God wants us to be. Now, check out this picture. Right? Most of us know this guy, right? Right? We know this is Babe Ruth, right? This is probably the greatest hitter ever because he hit 714 home runs without the use of steroids. Um, Unlike some people. Um, Now, here's the thing that that a lot of people don't know is that Babe Ruth started out as a pitcher. Now, albeit he was a good pitcher, he pitched for the Red Sox, by the way. Um, And yet what happened was this, is that the Red Sox noticed something about him, is that when he came to bat, he was amazing. And they thought to themselves, you know what, he's a really good pitcher, but if we can get him hitting all the time, that would be even better. And see, the reason that all of us know who he is, is not because of the kind of pitcher that he was. We know who he is because of what happened when he picked up a bat, when he found what his gift was. And he began to develop it. Some of us know who this guy is. Right? This is the greatest basketball player who has ever lived. I think most of us would agree with that. I'm a Celtics fan, and I will even admit to that. And so, right, Michael Jordan is, is, is the greatest player ever. But here's what happens. The, the, some of us know him for this. We see the next one. Do you remember this? When Michael Jordan decided to stop playing basketball and he started playing baseball? Right? He was, and he was playing for the, uh, the AA White Sox team. Now, think about this. In basketball, he is the greatest player to ever step on the court. He plays baseball, and the best he can do is get to double A. Now, what does, that, what does that tell us? What it tells us is this, is that when I can actually get into a zone of where I actually discover what my gift is, and I begin to develop that gift, God can do something amazing with my life. I can step out from mediocrity to the place of something amazing happening. Why? Simply by discovering what the gift is and then going for it. 
You see, Paul writes to Timothy, and as he does, he says all the hi, how are you, and I, I want to see you, and you've got a genuine faith because of you know, your mother and your grandmother and, and all of that, and we'll talk about that in chapter 3. But what happens is this, is that he says, but then he says this, he says, I want to remind you to stir up the gift that's in you. It's like right off the bat, he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to remember to stir up that gift. In fact, another translation puts it in another way. I believe that's a little more picturesque. It says this. This is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. Now, apparently, here's what had taken place. That Paul had laid his hands on Timothy and prayed that God would impart some spiritual gift to him. And one of the things that we, that we see in, in, in this, um, the idea of laying your hands on someone is, is very symbolic of God, God's hand being on a person. And as God's hand is on a person, the person they would uh, recognize that God's already working in this person. And so we're going to lay our hands on them and just confirm what it is that God is already doing. And so what happens is this, is that he says, well, here's what I want you to do. God's given you this gift. I'm going to pray that God gives you this gift and even, even more, that you develop that gift and that you see now that you wouldn't live now in fear, but instead that you would live in what God has given you. Now think about that, because he says this. I want you to stir up the gift that's in you, which was given to you by the laying on of my hands. And he says this, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love and a sound mind. Now, think about that. When I don't when I don't have a confidence about what my gifting is. We tend to shrink back. We tend to say, well, I don't know. Should I? Shouldn't I? I don't know if I'm really good at that. But when I really understand and I and I discover what it is that I'm gifted in. There's a confidence that comes from that, not in the sense of pride, but in the sense of I know who I am in Christ. And that's why he says that God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but of power. That word in the Greek, you can note that if if you're a note taker, is the Greek word dunamis, where we get our English word dynamite or dynamic. And so what takes place is this, is that Paul says, when you understand, when you stir up that gift, you know what you're going to experience? You're going to experience fuel. You're going to experience an explosive kind of power in your life when you discover and develop the gift that's in you. You see, Paul would say it this way uh, in 1 Timothy chapter 4. He says, in that special gift of ministry you were given when the leaders of the church laid hands on you and prayed, keep that dusted off and in use. Cultivate these things. Immerse yourself in them. The people will all see you mature right before their eyes. What's Paul saying? Cultivate your gifts. Invest in your gifts. And then you'll watch your gifts grow. And the more you see your gifts grow, the more confidence you'll have in the gifts that God has given you. And you'll see yourself go from the place of, well, I'm not really sure, I'm kind of timid, to the place of confidence and being able to step up and say, I'm willing to do it, I'm ready to do it, and I want to do it because I know how God has gifted me. I had no idea that I could speak publicly. Uh, some are still questioning whether that's possible, but uh, can he or can't he? But I remember the first time that I was asked to speak publicly it was when I was in Bible college. And um, uh, one of the things that we did in college was uh, once a week, uh, when, the whole, when everybody got together before classes on um, Monday night, <coughs> pardon me, <clears throat> what we would do is, uh, one person would get up and give a devotion. We would just, you know, give like a 10-minute teaching, uh, one of the students. And so what would happen was is that um, it, it was my turn. And so I had kind of, they had said, well, you want, I'd set it up to so like all the way towards the end of the semester. Well, I spent about a month preparing 
for this, this little talk that I was going to give. It was the first time I was speaking, and, and I thought that maybe this is where God would lead me to, do, to be a speaker, to be a preacher and a teacher, but I'm like, I don't know. And, and, and so I spent about a month preparing for this 10-minute talk. Now, I don't actually know how a person does that, but I spent, I, I spent a month thinking about it. I picked my text, you know, in Psalm 37, verse 4, that says, if you delight yourself in the Lord, He will give you the desires of your heart. And so I... I had this whole story that I was going to tell, and then I had this application of how I was going to apply that uh, to, to the lives of the people that were there, and then I was going to open in prayer and close in prayer, and I had the whole thing worked out. And so I got up, and I prayed, and then I uh, shared something, and then I shared the verse, and then I told the story, and then I applied it, and then um, I prayed again, uh, just to kind of bookend it, you know, and, and then I sat down, and then I looked at the clock. And I still had six minutes left of my ten minutes. Like I had done all of that in just under four minutes, uh, including walking up and walking back. And, 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 you know, the thing is this, is that, but I discovered something like, you know, and then I tried it again and it got a little better. And I tried it again and it got a little better. And I just, I kept working at it and cultivating the, the gift that I had. And I started listening to great preachers because I thought I'm, I should probably learn from them. Uh, and I started reading books on preaching and I started teaching anytime I had the opportunity because the thing is this, is that once you discover what it is that you're gifted at, that's really only half the battle, to quote G.I. Joe. Um, the, the issue is you've got to discover what it is, but then you've got to cultivate it. You've got to develop that gift. What Paul would say is you've got to fan that gift into a flame. And so now what happens is this. So that meant for me, if, I, if my gift was, gonna, was speaking, that I needed to start teaching all the time. And so I started teaching all the time, no matter what size the group was, no matter what the venue was, I, I, was, I was teaching all, all the time. And so people had heard that I had this gift and that I was working on my gift. And so uh, they said, the church I was going to, they said, well, we have this class that we'd like you to teach. And I said, all right, sounds good. They said, we'll even let you pick the topic. And so I said, I'll teach the book of Jude, the, the book right before Revelation in, in the New Testament. So I said, all right, I'll, t- I'll teach the book of Jude. And it's only one chapter. And so I'll, I'll split it into four weeks. And um, so I decided to do that. And then when the day came, there was four people who wanted that to be in there. And so I said, I'll take the class of four people. And by the time the four weeks were over, there was 25 people in the class. And I'm like, well, that's, that's a pretty good thing, I think. Um, and then, but here's the challenge that happens when you're learning and when you're growing um, is that you, you start learning and growing and then you discover you've got your gift and you start kind of working on it that then you want like everything to happen all at once, right? Like maybe you discover what your gift is, that your gift is maybe you're like a business person and you're like, you know, I'm getting my business degree or you just got your business degree and you're like, you know, I don't understand why Microsoft just doesn't let me run things because I could really, you know, get things going. Uh, you know, Starbucks is closing a bunch of stores, but if they just let me run things, I could probably turn that coffee place around and, you know, you get that whole thing. But see, the thing is, is that you don't start there. You start developing, you start discovering and then developing your gift many times in the place of obscurity. And so you're, you're in obscurity and then you start getting better because, listen, nobody wants to hear us when we're just learning. I remember the second class that I taught and the third class that I taught that I was given. I mean, I was, it was like 10, 12, 14 people that, that I was um, able to, to speak to. And uh, I remember that there was this one couple, this really awesome older couple that would come and they would sign up for every class that I, that I did. And so... Um, after I would get done, and I remember after like the third class, I remember asking um, the, the, the woman, her name was Marlene, and I said, Marlene, um, 
am I getting better? I mean, was it good? And, and she just kind of thought for a second. She says, well, I know this. It was definitely better than the last one. You know, and it's just like, so, well, it wasn't good, but it was better than the last one. That's for sure. <clears throat> and here's the thing, and this is what's so important. And if, if you're in the place where you're, you're, you, you know what your gift is, but you're, you're like, I'm, I'm still trying to, to, to I, I, I want people to know me. I want people, you know, I want like that Michael Jordan status with my gift. Here, here's what happens. This is what Zechariah chapter 4 says. Does anyone dare despise the day of small things? Does anyone dare despise the day of small beginnings? Why? Because, you know, I, when I first started teaching, I wanted to preach to thousands. But you don't start there. I remember the first time I spoke to thousands of people. I nearly peed my pants. Uh, when I walked out on the stage, there was like 3,000 people there. I'm sorry, I almost had a heart attack. Uh, and I, I wanted to fake an injury or something and, 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 and leave. And, you know, but... And that was five years after my little four-minute talk that should have been ten minutes that I was teaching in front of that many people. But you, had to, you have to stir up the gift. And the same thing is true with you as the same thing is true with me. Listen, if you aren't using your gifts, if you haven't discovered your gift and, then de- and you aren't developing your gift, your faith is going to dwindle. So how do you feel your faith? You feel your faith by finding your gift and then start using it for God's glory. That's, that's, the, that's the role. And then, there's something else that takes place. Let's continue in Second uh, Timothy 1. Here's what it says in verse 8. He says, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which he has given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. But now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, to which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. For this reason I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day." If the first thing is that I need to discover and develop my gifts, and the second thing I need to do to fuel my faith is that I need to recognize God's role for my gifts. I need to recognize God's role for my gifts. And here's the thing that happens to us many times, is that the funny thing about gifts is sometimes we're the last one to know what it is that we're gifted in. And I think what can happen is, is that you kind of hear the first section of what we're talking about. And you say, well, Bob, I, I appreciate what you're saying, but I don't really know what it is that I'm good at. I don't really know what it is that I'm... Uh, th- that I can excel at? What can I be, you know, a, a Michael Jordan at? I, I don't really know what, what that is for me. Sometimes we're the last ones to know. Be- but here's what I can tell you is that the people around us usually know what our gifts are before we do. My wife knew that I was a teacher long before I knew. I still had in my head that I was just going to be, I was going to be a musician and spend all my time, you know, playing music and leading worship. I thought that was going to, that was the role that I was going to take. But my wife recognized, she said, you know, listen, you're a teacher. And I said, well, what's the, why is that? She says, because you're always teaching people. And I said, well, what do you mean? She says, do you remember when we were in a new believers class and there was like 10 people there? You had only been a Christian. We'd only been Christians for like four weeks. I said, yeah. She says, do you remember the lady that sat next to us that had all these questions? Yeah. You remember that you were answering all of her questions and even, you know, to the point of like almost interrupting the guy that was leading the class because you had all these verses that you were giving her that you had just started reading. 
Uh, yeah, I guess I do remember that. And I guess that was slightly obnoxious to the teacher as well. Uh, don't, please don't do that. Um, and, and the thing is this, is that, you know, you just realize it's, I, I didn't even see it in myself. And sometimes we're a little too close to ourselves to be able to see it. And if you say, well, I, do they even know? <coughs> Pardon me. If you don't, aren't aware, I'm dealing with a little throat issue. Um, but here's what happens is that if you still don't know, and you say the people around me don't know, then here's what, here's what you can do. You know how there's people in your life that they only, call, they only call when they need something? Everybody's got those people in their life. They only call when they need something. But here's the thing. If you will actually think through for a minute and say, what are these people actually calling me about? Well, there's this person. Well, they call me when I've got this going on or this going on or this go- when they've got this going on. And you can actually string some of those together. I believe that you'll probably find some commonality in all of those things. And if you'll actually put all of those things together, you know what you'll find? They always call me when blank happens. And when that one thing happens, they, they think of me. Why? Because that's probably this natural gifting that you have, this gifting that God has given you, where now you're able to step into a situation and you say, well, I guess that's just, but it, but it can't be a gift. It's just so simple. You see, that's kind of how it works, is that when it's simple, it's, sim- it's not that it's, it might even be easy. It's simply that when you're really good at it, it doesn't feel like labor or feel like work. You're just good at it. And you're just able to do it. And it doesn't feel like this burden because God has given you this gift. You see, but then the next step is that once you know what it is, you've got to ask God why he's given you that gift. You see, Paul says that he was appointed a preacher, a teacher, and an apostle for what purpose? For the purpose of bringing the gospel to people who hadn't heard it before. Now, what's the difference between these titles, a preacher, a teacher, and an apostle? And it's real simple, um, you know, that a preacher motivates, a teacher educates, and an apostle legislates. That is, he legislates in the sense that he leads other people. So Paul says, I'm a preacher in the sense that I motivate, I'm a teacher in the sense that I educate, and I'm an apostle in the sense that I legislate and that I'm overseeing all of these churches that are going on. I'm leading other people. And what happens is, is that once you recognize and you understand what your gift is, why God has placed you on this planet in relationship to using the gift that you have, listen, it will change you. Because when a person decides that whatever gift that they have is really just about them, you know, it takes place, it it causes them to become incredibly selfish. But Paul, as we're reading, he says this, that God has called us with a holy calling. Now, what does that mean, that that word holy? And say, well, you know, why do we, you know, we use that word a lot and you know, what, what does the word holy mean? Listen, the word holy simply means this, separated for something special. That it's not something that you use every day, but instead it's been separated for a special purpose. And that's how you recognize that the, your unique gifts can fuel your faith. Because it causes you to see yourself, it causes you to see life, it causes you to see your gifts, it causes you to see God differently. Because you start looking for opportunities because you recognize that this holy calling that God has put on your life with the gifts that you have is for the purpose of helping others, blessing others, and glorifying God. You see, in 1 Peter, the Bible says this. It says, each one should use whatever gift he has to receive and serve, he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. 
If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. You see, and what we tend to do at times is we tend to think that, uh, well, really the, the, the gifts that God uses are preaching and singing. Like that's in the church, that's really all that, that we need. And the thing is, is that God uses all kinds of gifts because we need all types of people and all types of gifts to accomplish what it is that God wants us to do because we're all working together for the same common goal and the same common purpose. You see, if someone wants to be a missionary, they're going to be hard-pressed to go and say, well, I feel called to go if there aren't people who are called to stay and support that missionary as they go out. So it's all of these people working together saying, well, I feel called to go. Well, that's great. I feel called to stay. So here's what we can do. We can partner together. I'll stay and support you as you go and do what it is that God has called you to do. I'll stay here and do what God has called me to do. And together we can see all of this accomplished. You see, in the same way, we've got people that work out in our hospitality area. And they're the guys who set up like all our Starbucks coffee and Krispy Kreme donuts and all that. And I tell them, I'm like... Your, part of your gift is to create this environment where people um, feel welcome, where people can come in and, 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 and grab something to eat and grab something to drink and, and, and feel welcome. And I say, listen, your gift is setting out the donuts. My gift is eating the donuts. And that way we just kind of work together on that. <clears throat> but see, there's just something that happens where it's like we don't all have the same gifts. Instead, what God does is he kind of spreads it around. Aren't you glad that in our band there's not just ten guys playing guitar? I mean, that would be horrible, right? Or like 10 drummers. No, but instead, when, each, uh, when every musician uses each of their individual gifts, you know what happens? Now there's something of harmony. There's something that we want to listen to and show up for. In fact, this is how the Apostle Paul would put it in the book of Romans. He says, just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. In His grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, then speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, then serve them well. If you're a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it's giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift... For showing kindness to others, then do it gladly. You see, there's something that happens as we recognize what our gifts are and we recognize what God's role is for our gifts. Is that when we put them into play, you know what takes place? Is that they grow and they develop and they get fanned into a flame. They get fueled, they get catalyzed into where God wants them to be. When I grew, when I was starting uh, out as a musician... The thing that happened with me was when I started playing with other musicians is when my talent for, for music and, and I grew so uh, more as a musician than I ever would have by, uh, by myself. Because there's something that takes place when I take my gifts and I just put them into play. And that's what Paul says in this last section as he says it this way. He says uh, in verse 13, he says, hold fast the pattern of sound words which you've heard from me. In faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus, that good thing which was committed to you, keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. And this, you know, 
that all those in Asia have turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. The Lord grant mercy to the house of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. But when he arrived in Rome, he sought me out very zealously and found me. The Lord grant to him that he may find mercy from the Lord in that day. And you know very well how many ways he ministered to me at Ephesus. Now here's the third one. And that is that God wants us, that that if we're going to really fuel our faith, that we need to discover and develop our gift. We need to recognize God's role for our gifts. But then here's the third one, is that I need to get in the game with my gifts. And that it's one thing to know, it's one thing to know why, but it's another thing altogether to say, I'm going to take it and I'm going to use my gifts and get in the game for the purpose of God being glorified. And Paul mentions three people. He mentions uh, a person by the name of Phygelus, a person by the name of Hermogenes, and a person by the name of Onesiphorus. By the way, if you're having kids, three in good names. They're not, very, not used very often. This is my little son, Onesiphorus. I promise you'll be the only kid in his school with that name. Um, maybe I'll talk Harry into it. Um, depending on what we have. Um, now think about this. I want you to think about this. This is so important because he says, Phygelus and Hermogenes, they abandoned Paul. But then he says specifically, the Lord blessed the house of Onesiphorus. Because think about this. Now, Paul is, uh, Timothy is pastoring a church in Ephesus, which is where Onesiphorus lives. It's in, in the city of Ephesus. But he says that he sought me out zealously when he got to Rome. Now, here's what we have to understand. Um, is that we can read and say, oh, I guess he just kind of went over there and, and helped Paul out when he found out Paul was in prison. Rome was a thousand miles from Ephesus. I want you to think about that. It was the distance from Miami to New York City. And listen, they didn't have JetBlue back then. They didn't have any airplane to go on to. So he kind of starts hitching a ride and, you know, how, you know catching the, you know, the newest chariot to, to get all, all the way there. And so, and what happens? What happens is, is that he has, the, the Onesiphorus is a guy that has this gift in him. And he says, you know, I've got to use it. And if it means that I've got to travel a thousand miles to be able to use my gift, then I've got to do it. And that doesn't stop him. And, and what he says is, listen, there's somebody who needs ministry and I'm going to go help them. I'm going to go refresh them. I'm going to go serve them. And what does it teach us? Listen, it teaches us something that when God gives us a gift, he expects us to use it because he recognizes that it's when we use our gifts that our faith is fueled and our faith grows. The book of 1 Corinthians, Paul would say it this way. There are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same spirit is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but is the same God who does the work in all of us. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. You see, here's my hope. My hope is is that 2009 is the year that you take your gifts and that you put them into play and that you allow your gifts to fuel your faith. Because there's something that happens in God's economy when we decide and we make the decision that we're going to serve. God blesses that decision. God blesses the action. And our faith and our relationship in Him, with Him grows. You see, and let me just be this bold and share, it with, share this with you. People who decide to not use their gift. Ah, I don't really need to that. I'm too busy. i got too much going on. Listen, people who make that decision say, I'm not going to put that gift, that gift that God has given me into, into play. Here's what happens. Their faith gets stagnant. They get stuck. 
they, their faith starts to dwindle down to a flicker, and then they start taking steps backwards to the point where they end up like Phygelus and Homogenes who end up abandoning Paul and abandoning the faith. And you say, well, Bob, that sounds pretty, you know, pretty radical. Listen, I'm just being honest with you because I'm just telling you what I've watched. And over a decade now, here's what I see. I see people who take their gifts seriously, and they say, God has given me this gift for a reason. And even if I don't know what my gift is, I know that God has given me a gift. And it's my job to now discover what that is and honor God with that gift. So here's what I want to encourage you to do. I want you to take out your connection card for just a second. I want you to flip it over. And I want to give you, because here's what I know in a message like this, you say, you know what? God really is speaking to me. It's a new year and it's, a, it's time to turn over a new leaf. It's a time to make some changes. And here's what it is. And let me just, um, let me just share this with you. Um, you don't make changes when you do everything exactly the same as you have previously. I don't know if you're, most of us are aware of that, that if you do everything you've always done, you're going to get what you've always gotten. But if you say, you know what, I want my relationship with God to grow and I want things to be different than they have been in previous years, then we're going to have, if we want things to radically change, here's what we're going to have to do. We're going to have to get radical. And this is where I want to really encourage you and say, you know what, here, here's, here's what I want to do. Under sign me up, we just put some different options for you to say, you know what, I want to get involved in, in some area. So it could be, you know, setting on a children's ministry team, set up teardown, welcome teams, or host a small group in your home. Um, but you just say, you know what, I want to get involved. Maybe you're reading that and you're saying, I, I don't know if those, that's really for me. Create your own box and put, I want to get involved. And here's what we'll do. We'll actually, we'll have someone from our staff call you and we'll set up some time. We can sit down and talk and say, what, what do you think you might want to do? And here's, and we have, this, have, this happens all week long. People come in, we sit down with them and here's what they say. They say, I want to get involved. Well, what would you like to do? Well, I'm not really sure. Okay, we talk to them a little bit. We ask them a few questions. And as, as, as people answer questions, say, you know, this is, this, you know, people with your type of gifts tend to do well in this area. And your type, the kind of passion that you have for whatever area, uh, we'll, we'll put you here. And then what's cool is this, and this is one of the things that we do, is we, ha- we always say this phrase. It's not a life sentence. If you say, I'm going to serve in this area, whatever area that is, and you come back to us in two weeks and you say, listen, I tried it and I'm sorry to tell you, I hate it. It's horrible. And you say, okay, that's fine. Let's try someplace else. And so what we'll do is that we'll, we'll, we'll try someplace else. And what we'll do is we'll, we'll work with you until you find the place to say, listen, I love this. This is perfect. Don't ever move me from here. We say, all right. We found, we, we found the spot where you're gifted, where you're excited, because now it's where gifting and passion meet is where we want people to be. Because, friends, when we talk about people getting involved, it really has very little to do with, well, we're just trying to fill spots. That's not how we've operated here for the last eight years. Here's what is really most important to us. What's most important to us is where does a person's greatest passion lie? Where does the person's greatest gifting lie? Wherever that may be. And that's where we want people to serve because we know that's where their faith is going to ignite. That's where they're going to excel. And that's where they're going to be fueled to do even greater things for the purpose of the kingdom. And that's why this, I believe this is so important. But none of that happens without each of us taking a step. And so that's why this morning I really want to encourage you to say, you know what? Here's the thing. You say, well, I, Bob, I don't have a lot of time. I understand that. No, everybody's got a lot going on. But what I'm encouraging you to, to do this is say, I'm committing to serving one hour a month. One hour a month. One hour a month is, is, not, is not a lot to ask. I mean, that's like, 
you know, one hour. That's like CSI, right? And I mean, if you watch CSI Miami, you could afford to lose that show. That show's horrible. And so you say, I'm, I'm going I'm to go ahead and commit to the, this one hour, one hour a month. And you know what's going to happen? You, we're going to help you find your gift, and you're going to say, one hour, I, I would want to do more. We say, well, let's start there and see what happens. And you know what takes place? One of the most important decisions I've ever made since becoming a Christian was the decision to serve. Was the decision to discover what it is that I was gifted in. And I actually didn't start teaching. I started just setting up chairs so other people could teach. And I just did it with joy. And I was so excited that God had saved me from so much. And because God had saved me, and I had this relationship now with God that I never had before, I was just so filled with joy to be able to do anything for Him. And so we have this opportunity. And so the reason that I'm so passionate and I get so excited and I'm just like, you know, I, I want to do anything I can to, to, to help you take that step is for the very purpose that I know that very few things will ignite you the way that serving God will ignite you. And my hope, friends, is that you experience the same thing. The feeling of knowing that the gift of God that's in you is now beginning to grow and that spark is turning into a flame and turning into a wildfire simply because you took a step to decide to serve. Let's pray together. And God, that is our hope and that's our prayer. That's our desire is that the faith that we have would get fueled. And so, Lord, I pray that you would work in us. God, I ask that that each of us would take the step to serve you to a greater degree. So, Lord, help us. Give us the courage to take the step that we might see the amazing results that you'll give us when we do. In Jesus' name, amen.